Welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. This is Ray Ortega, your host, and I'm the CEO and founder of Grata Software, where we partner with companies to build innovative technologies on the cloud. This is episode five, and today we're going to have a conversation with our project manager, Donna, uh, to go over the real-life scenarios of building your MVP. Thank you for listening to the Drive Time Podcast, and today we're doing a little something different. Uh, we're inside the studio at Grata, and I've brought a special guest with me today uh, to continue the conversation about building your MVP product. Last episode, I went into wireframing and designs and building a prototype to elicit feedback from your target customers before moving towards your MVP or your minimum viable product. My guest today has significant experience in going through this process, and I thought it would be a really good break from my monotonous talking uh, through this MVP process by bringing her on to talk a little bit more about the real-world experience that she goes through, uh, especially with our clients at Grata. Um, her name is Donna Raphael Rene, and she's the lead project manager at Grata Software and someone I rely very heavily on to keep our clients' projects and products in line, delivering value to their customers. Uh, Donna and I have worked together for several years, and I consider her one of the best project managers I've ever worked with. So, hi, Donna. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. <laughs> so, I wasn't sure if you wanted to actually come on the podcast and I, when I asked you, so I'm just glad you actually decided to come on the podcast because uh, I'm sure people are tired of hearing my voice all the time, um, especially the last four episodes. So, again, thanks for, for being here. Um, and for our listeners, just give us a, a brief rundown of you know, what is it that you do at Grata as the project manager? Okay, so as a project manager, my responsibility is usually to manage the team uh, and to make sure that they meet their requirements for any product and that we can make that product be done within um, budget and schedule. So a typical day for me would be to have daily stand-ups with the team, and this also kind of follows our agile methodologies that we practice, like Scrum. Um, in those daily meetings, I would talk to the team about what they're doing for that day, um, what they did the day before, if they had any barriers. It's usually my responsibility to remove any of their roadblocks. So I also spend a lot of time talking with clients, um, fine-tuning requirements, uh, making sure we have the information we need, um, that the scope is well-defined so the team can be successful in their work. Uh, I also do a lot of emails and phone calls as well. So we have a lot of um, group meetings where we discuss projects and high-level requirements and planning. Um, so we do a lot of planning and preparing for projects as well as executing those plans in the forms of sprints. Um, from those sprints, we usually set up tickets, um, we define our backlog, and then we do a lot of um, reviews at the end. Um, I also do some testing because I do have a UI UX background. So that's some of the things that I do for clients who can't really be involved day to day to do it themselves um, to make sure that we have what is ready and what's done and we make sure that we meet those requirements. Um, so a lot of my days spent communicating and talking with the team and, you know, just working through what it is that we're doing on a day to day basis and making sure that we meet our end goals for any product. Yeah. And for the listeners out there who uh, obviously you don't know, because I've never mentioned it, but Donna, like I said, Donna and I uh, worked together in the past. And that's the one that she's like that diamond in the rough. Uh, she was that person that just had a very large breadth of knowledge of 
of not only developing new products, but also doing each of the components of designing the UI um, and then building prototypes, things like that. So um, she was one of the, the, the most skilled people that I think I've ever met. And that's the reason why we ended up hiring her and bringing her onto our team. Um, it was someone that I really, really needed, uh, considering the fact that I'm focused more on the technology. I needed someone that could focus more on building the products from more of the design uh, management, product ownership type type mentality. Um, and that's the the biggest benefit. So I really appreciate everything you do, Donna. And um, you. you know, yeah, and, and thanks for all your hard work and everything you've done for us. Because I know it gets really crazy and intense, especially um, because you're holding, you're you're wearing so many hats. Um, and yep. so yeah, I so am. Sometimes I feel like I'm a scrum master, product yep. owner, project manager. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish I could. I, I, I want to say I'm sorry, but we have no option at this point. No, right? it's, so, fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's actually fun. It's challenging. I yeah. learn a lot every day. So, yeah, it's, it's cool. Cool. So, yeah. So uh, in the past episodes, so that, you know, I explained uh, the process of building an MVP and, you know, going through uh, the different points of, of the process, uh, you know, doing the design, building prototype, things like that. Um, as you've been working with our clients, building uh, products, what is the path that you normally follow? I know you kind of explained a little bit in your introduction, but mm -hmm. could you drill down more of like, what's the what's the process? If it, When a client first comes to us and wants to build a product, what do you go through in that, that process? So the first thing that we try to define is the scope of the product. So, you know, we can go as high level as a roadmap and do some release planning. Sometimes we kind of ad hoc that and skip some steps, though we shouldn't. Um, but I've noticed that a lot of the clients that we have, the most important thing is to get the requirements down and at least high level requirements. And, you know, they could be in the form of user stories, you know, like what's the end goal or what's the value of your product? You know, what is your product geared towards and what's the outcome that you want it to have? So it could be something as simple as saying, well, I have a claim management system I want to build. Mm -hmm. And as a user, I need to be able to log in and be able to manage claims for that system, you know, and we start very high level and then we go more in depth. Um, that helps us determine maybe how many types of user interfaces we would need, what the types of functions would be, you know, and from that we can create like a definition or like a document or requirements document that almost like a BRD. Um, our team is getting more into that process now. Yeah, could you, um, could you before you go on, could you explain a BRD? Because some people don't understand what that acronym means. Yeah, so a BRD is a business requirements document. And essentially what that is, it, it details every possible, let's say UI user interface, or every possible design and every possible interaction a user can make with that specific design or application. So, for example, your BRD could define what a login page is, what it looks like, what are all the user interactions that can be taken in order to log in to a product. Do you find so, it, do you find mm -hmm. it, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you find that um, most projects do a BRD or do they kind of skip that part? A lot of time projects tend to skip it. And one of the reasons is because in small companies too, with people wearing multiple hats, usually as a business analyst, responsibility to build those and a lot of companies especially smaller ones may not have one so yeah. you realize they tend to mesh things together and you know just get the bare minimum that they need from the clients to you know run with the product the only thing we've noticed with that is it can be detrimental in the end if you do it fast and dirty versus doing it the right way 
um, it can cause you to build up technical debt in the end, which would be even more um, costly. Um, yeah. When I say technical debt, I mean, you know, when you do things in a shortcut that can affect the future flexibility of the product and the features you're building, then you yeah. have to go back and rework things. Um, yeah. So I have noticed a lot of times people don't have those. Very large corporations do, um, again, because they have a breadth of separating tasks and workloads, departments, responsibilities, but smaller smaller organizations usually don't yeah. have those in place. Yeah, and that's and that's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up because that's the because one of the things that I know the biggest challenge that we have at Grata is um, some of the companies that we work with. There, there is a cost to building the BRD, mm-hmm. um, and that cost a lot of uh, customers don't want to incur that cost um, because it is like a lot of pre planning before you actually get into the development of the product. Exactly. Um, and so they tend to want to. So so it's not just a skimping from the the small business side of not having the resources to build the BRD and like in the sense of like a company like ours. Right. Um, but in the sense of also the, the client coming in, um, doesn't want to spend the money on the BRD because it is a, a cost that they have to incur, um, before exactly. the actual developing of the product. Okay. And so, so that's to, good. Yep. Yeah. So, um, to work around that, what we would do is we would do something kind of similar. So we would try to come up with sort of a requirement stock and that doc could essentially be like a high level scope that defines the most important things that the product we're building needs to be able to do and what's the value of it from a user. You know, and once we have that, then we can spend time with the client defining what each of those items mean and, you know, what the outcome should be for each of them. So, you know, that has been a good workaround that we've started implementing um, that does help us not have too many unknowns and surprises in the long run. So when someone is trying to build their product, right? So what would you recommend? Do you recommend um, these types of things like the BRDs and the requirements documents? Do you do you think that it should the company or the or the per, the individual who's trying to build this product idea that they have? Do you think they are the ones that should come up with this BRD and come up with the different requirements, or do you think they should they should essentially utilize someone like yourself um, to? ask the right questions and kind of build this, the, the BRD or the requirements documents, um, and they just provide the information? Well, I think it depends on the person we're dealing with, right? It depends on how clear is it that they know what they want and how they want to get there versus someone who just has a general idea um, but needs guidance. So certain types of product owners are very defined in what they want for their product. They've spent the time to do the research. They've spent the time to do the um, business plan and everything, and they already have a good grasp of what it is they're looking for. Someone else may have an idea, but they have no idea how to go about you know, making that idea possible. Um, so it really depends on the person you're dealing with. So for someone who doesn't know what they want, but they know they want something and they know they have money for it, then they can come to us and, you know, we can be their consultants and we can tell them, okay, what is it that you want? And we can help them define what that would look like um, in ways like helping them build a roadmap, helping them build a release plan, helping them build, you know, what it is that they're trying to get to. What's the end goal for someone who already has all of that done when they come to us, the idea is now we can help them, you know, define what that is and what it's going to take to get there. So from them telling us what their scope is, we can tell them, well, this is our estimate for how much it's going to take. 
Um, based on that, we can tell them, you know, this is the timeline. Um, and based on that, we can tell them, okay, this is how we're going to execute it. We're going to do it by sprints. We're going to plan the work per feature set, you know, and, and drill down from there. Exactly. So on that note, so let's say someone does have uh, their prototypes, or sorry, not prototypes, someone does have their BRD or have their requirements document. Mm -hmm. What is the next step in the process once they get to that point? Like, um, I so ahead. I think the next step would be to kind of determine what type of agile um, methodology we're going to use. So are we going to do Scrum? Are we going to do Kanban? Um, and then if, if you want to, if a quick description of Scrum and Kanban, so Scrum is like a methodology that we follow in terms of like agile development. So, you know, things being quick and, and fast and being able to produce um, working features of products at the end. So if I'm doing Scrum, I would have sprints. Sprints are essentially time boxed periods for work that needs to be completed. So usually they're done in a two week, um, every, a two week basis or like a two week sprint. Um, and from that, the team would determine, you know, do some sprint planning. So that's where you plan the tasks that are going to be in that sprint. And the tasks are essentially the work you want to accomplish. So what your goal is for that sprint, um, the team can commit to that. Um, based on the definitions of each of those tasks, the team can perform estimates. Um, and in that way, we should be able to get to the end and build a feature that way. Um, okay. And so, yeah. and so once you get to that point, now, do you normally start off with a prototype or do you start off with like an interactive prototype? Like how do you normally start off the project? Well, in some of the projects we've had, it all depends. So there are some projects where we've actually taken the, um, the directive to start from wireframing and prototyping first before we actually develop. Um, and in terms, so the wireframing is where the UI UX comes in, the user experience, user interface. So we have the details of what we need to build and we essentially come up with what the user experience is supposed to look like. Um, and from that, we determine how to design that interface for look and feel and for like elements like buttons, text styling and user actions. Um, there are products where we've, already, we've been given designs already and we essentially had from those designs define what each of those user stories are. So as a user, I should be able to um, click here in order to do this. Um, so we have had times where we built the prototypes or we have had times where we've been given the prototypes and from the prototypes, we built what those tasks would be in order to develop the product. Okay, that's a good point because one of the things that I, I talk about in the previous podcast is building these prototypes, um, how important they are um, because they kind of give uh, the user experience and what is it that you're going to to get mm -hmm. when you work on this product. Um, and so from the perspective of my conversation, I always talk about or I talk about mostly um, from their point of view in the sense of as a, as a person who's building this new product, I want to find mm -hmm. out if the market will bear the product mm -hmm. features and things that I'm going to put on this thing. Right. Um, and so that's what, that's where I come from when I, when, when it comes from building the prototypes. Right. Um, right. but what you're talking about is another benefit to it is that once, if you do have a prototype, you can come to a company like ourselves or another mm -hmm. development company and say, this is my prototype. This is what I want out there. 
as my MVP, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then that gives the the company the ability to have a clear direction as to where they're going to go rather than trying to figure out what they're going to build throughout uh, the whole development process and the building exactly. process. Okay. And you know, your minimum viable product is really the least amount of features you need in order to get the end value for that product that you want to get out there. You know, so you don't have to have the sun and the moon. You just have to have the basic features you need for your product that you can market and start getting users and start getting feedback. Um, So that's one thing we've seen, you know, with clients, sometimes they don't know what their MVP is. And sometimes we do help them define what that is. Um, So it all depends on the client because, you know, it's a pretty broad spectrum I've seen so far um, in those we've worked with. Exactly. So, so in your case, what would be, um, if, 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 you know, what, what is your biggest, I guess, challenge uh, when you're working with a client and trying to figure out the MVP? What is the thing that you find most, um, that, that the most problematic in that process? A lot of times they don't really know what they want. And even if they know what they want, you have to ask a lot of questions to get the information from them so you can know what to give them. Um, a lot of times the way they look at an MVP and the way you teach them to look at it is different because while they know they need to get the least amount out there that's valuable, a lot of times they still want to, you know, take a whole bunch of things and sneak them in. <laughs> yeah. And sneak them in to make if it make it more than what it should be. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a... a game of you know managing expectations and and quality and value so i think that's the challenge is just being able to manage those expectations and with managing them making sure that the client is still happy with what they're getting yeah so on the note about sneaking things in it's really funny that you say that because on sneaking things in a lot of times it's not really that they're trying to sneak things in it's that they think of something else mm-hmm. that they think the customer will value at the same time they're trying to build the thing that they're just trying to get out there Right. Um, so, you know, like, uh, you know, like in an, a very recent thing and, you know, I'll never mention, you know, the client that we're working with, but, you know, we have a project where, um, you know, uh, SMS and, and messaging systems was kind of like thrown in in the middle mm-hmm. of the MVP product as a, as a concept just because uh, it seemed like some customers would want this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the, the type of thing we're talking about is that feature scope. Um, that's not really rooted in, in, in data or, or, you know, an actual approval from the client or from the, the mm-hmm. customer's perspective, but more of a, I think my customer wants this. So right. I want to add that in, you know? Um, and so that's just a good point about that. Cause I, cause I know we say sneaking in, but it's really a lot of times it's really it's not sneaking. Creep. It's just, it's just regular <laughs> scope creep. It happens on every yeah. project. Um, you know, because everybody wants to build the best thing for their customer. And sometimes, you know, you know, everyone's innovating, right? We're, we're constantly mm-hmm. innovating. We're doing it. Our customers are doing it. And um, so it's it's a normal habit. The key is to be able to distinguish, OK, how to stay disciplined in building the 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 immediate problem that you're solving in your product and not fulfilling it with a bunch of other problems that you're trying to solve just because exactly. you just figured that out. Right. You Um, know, and in situations like that, this is when we come back and we just, you know, just take it upon ourselves to teach the clients and let them understand, you know, how important it is to prioritize, Um, prioritizing and giving feature sets weight. What's most important versus what's least important, what meets my business goal, my vision 
statement, you know, what's aligned with what I want that end goal to be versus what may not even be needed or even be necessary. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is is some of the things that we would do kind of to rectify those situations. And a lot of times, you know, it's just about open communication. If we discuss and we tell them, you know, what we think from a professional standpoint and we help them, because sometimes they have so much going on, you know, they don't really have the time to stop and really think about these things. Um, but being able to coach them, you know, and let them realize what to them is more important, what is more in line with their business goals, you know, is is a good way to solve those issues. And from our side too, we learn a lot about their industry, about what they do, because we have to spend time knowing them, learning them, understanding them to be able to bring back, you know, those valuable insight to them. Exactly. So on that note, I know you said earlier, you you, you mentioned ad, agile methodology. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any other methodologies that get used besides like agile and besides, you know, like the scrum and stuff like that? Is there other methodologies that, that can be used to develop a, a new product? Yeah, so we follow agile, but uh, before I used to follow a lot of the, I mean, the waterfall method with project management, I used to follow that. So I have seen that kind of having a hybrid of both in certain products sometimes does help. Um, You have kind of a defined start to end, but you can also mix in the agile where your, you know, your scope and stuff can be flexible. I've noticed for certain products that kind of mixing those together sometimes works. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like on government projects, it's still waterfall. It's really difficult for them to go on on agile. Mm -hmm. And then on commercial products, everyone's moving agile because it's more, it's a teaching um, thing. It's agile is not something our clients come to us for. That's Um, true. They basically, they're like, here's what I want. And then we're the ones that have to, you know, or not have to, but we kind of direct them towards the agile methodology. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I guess uh, explain a little bit, like, what is the benefits of one versus the other, agile versus waterfall? So with agile, the biggest benefit is the fact that you're flexible and you can get a product out to market a lot quicker because of it. Um, with waterfall is very standard, is very top to bottom, and it can take longer to get a finished product out to market. Those are the two biggest um, differences I've seen. Also, waterfall, you're pretty hard set in your, you know, scope and budget and those things. Um, exactly. Where with agile, you know, you're more flexible in your scope and timeline. The budget yep. may be set, but you're flexible in your scope and timeline. With waterfall, you're not. Yeah. And that, it's a good point. And that's, you know, that's why I asked that question. Cause I, you know, the biggest thing about, um, the old way it was done before was waterfall. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember developing projects in waterfall where, um, you'd sit down in a boardroom for eight hours and come up with all the requirements on a, on a business requirements document on a BRD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we wouldn't see the client for six months. <laughs> exactly. And then we deliver, we deliver the product in six months and, and they're like, well, this is not really what we wanted. We wanted to do exactly. these di- things differently. Um, and then it would turn into a long list of change controls and it would mm-hmm. cost the client, you know, another, you know, about 50%, 40 to 50% of what they already paid, they would cost them in order to make all these change controls uh, to change the, the feature sets or the functionalities um, based on the fact that they didn't see it for six months. 
you know, yep. and, um, and so, and I know with agile, one of the, like you said, is a lot of flexibility. Um, every sprint we finish a, 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 a feature or a piece of a feature that the, the client can look at, exactly. uh, can actually play with, and then they can decide whether we're heading in the right direction or not. Um, mm-hmm. and it gives them a better idea of, of where to go from there. So exactly. Yeah. So, um, uh, besides that, so which one do you prefer? I, I mean, I think I already know the answer to this, but you know. <laughs> I prefer agile because of, like you said, it's flexible. It's, um, you know, it's, you can come up with features quicker. You can get feedback and immediate, you know, communication from the client quicker. Mm-hmm. So you can already know if you're going in the right direction, you can quickly adjust. Yeah. The only time I would say I like waterfall is if you're constantly repeating a same product, almost like, um, let's say you're building websites and you have a standard where you build a website, you provide a homepage, a contact us page, you know, a, a about us page. If you're doing something that's standard and repetitive, waterfall might work because it's, you know, it's set, it's generic and it's for everybody. But if you're some, if you're doing something unique, complex, and you know, it's maybe something that was never done before, then you probably want to go agile. Yeah. I had another question in my head and it was funny because I, I was trying to figure out a way to ask this, but I'm just going to say it because it's. Because the thing is, the the you know, a lot of times we get, um, you know, we'll sit there and we'll talk with a customer. We'll say, okay, we're going to do on this, you know, every project is mostly agile. Um, but what's the biggest question we always get with every client about agile or even any project at all? And the biggest question we get is always, how long is this going to take? Exactly. So <laughs> it's always on my timeline. <laughs> what, what's the time? Well, how long is it going to take? Is it going to take me, um, like we've had, we've had one uh, customer before that, um, when we first started talking to them, they're like, okay, it's going to be like six months. Right. And then we're like, yeah. And then the next meeting, so it's going to be four months. Right. And like every meeting, it kept going down more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your take on that? When a client, uh, sits there and says, oh, how long is this going to be? Or how long is this going to take? What is What is your take on that? How do you, how would you respond to that? I would tell them that for us to give them a accurate timeline, we need to proper define the scope because defining the scope will tell us, you know, how we'll be able to give us the ability to estimate, and from the estimate, you know, that will tell us how long it's going to take. So, you know, we understand what the feature set is, what you want it to do. And then the technical team can say, well, based on this, we can say it will take us X amount of time. And based on that, then we know, okay, you have, you know, eight working hours in a day, you have resources, how many resources going to be on that project. And from that information, you can determine a timeline. So it's really just managing their expectations and letting them understand that, you know, it may seem simple on the top level, but there's a lot that goes into making it happen. Um, yeah. And, you know, once you can let the client understand that, you know, and, you know, compromise and work with them. Um, if they want it at a tight deadline, then maybe you need to invest in more resources so they can finish quicker. Um, but as long as they understand that, you know, this is what it's going to take. Yeah. And for us to know what it's going to take, we have to define these things. So what would you say to the the people that, so there are moments where we have someone say, um, well, listen, we'll just add more resources. We're just going to add, we'll mm-hmm. just, we'll just give you 10 developers to do the, to do the work. Do you, what, what is your take on that? Do you think that will actually improve the speed of a project? Not necessarily. It could hinder it. Um, just because the more people you have involved in a project, the more room for error you have. The thing with agile teams is they're small and they're small for a reason. It's a very collaborative environment. You know, everyone has to always make sure that they're on the same page. They have to communicate a lot. Um, Yeah, you know, 
I can give you 10 developers, but what's their skill set? You know, how how well do they work with in teams? Yeah. Um, is it going to end up costing you more for having that many versus just having three or four very skilled ones who can, you know, completely work efficiently? Um, so it really depends on those factors. Okay. Um, that's great. Uh, I think we're going to end the podcast there. Um, I, I don't know if there's any, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Anything you'd like to say on, on go ahead. Um, no, this was fun. Okay. <laughs> I had fun sharing my knowledge. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. We definitely need to do this again sometime. I know we have more topics we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, so I would love to have you back on cause I think this actually works really well. Um, so cool. So on that note, I'm going to go ahead and end the podcast here. Um, uh, for those listening, if you have any questions, reach out to us through our website, Facebook, or Twitter. Our handle is at Grata Software. Um, we appreciate your feedback, so please provide feedback uh, when you can. Um, I look forward to the next podcast. And again, thank you, Donna, for coming to our podcast uh, this time. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and hopefully we'll have you again very soon, and we can continue this conversation on uh, on how to build uh, products and technology for, for some of the customers that we build for. So. Great. So cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. And, and thank you to the listeners and look forward to the next podcast. Bye, everyone.